The reading is taken from the Gospel of John, chapter 13, starting at verse 1, and this can be found on page 1081. Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father, love them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's see if I can. Oh, we'll stick with it like that. Um, I've, I've been asked to, to do a little introductory, a um, few little bits about me. Um, so I've, I've come today with my wife, Rachel. Uh, we've been married now for, for three years. Uh, she's the, the person who dragged me kicking and screaming from Wales, um, leaving the country, the, the land of our fathers, to come here. Um, but we've now been in Cornerstone for, for about four years, four, maybe five years now, um, that, where we've been serving on part of the youth team there. Rachel is a uh, wedding photographer, and she works in the school locally to us here, so Christchurch Surbiton, where she works in the after-school club. And I'm a primary school teacher in Surbiton, um, in a school called St Andrews and St Mark's. Um, I teach a year three class uh, there. 
Um, and as I, as I mentioned, we've been in Cornerstone now for roughly four years or so. Um, we've been serving on the youth team. And a question that I, I get asked you know, fairly frequently now when we're visiting churches is, how did you get into to preaching? And it's really through the youth ministry there that um, the way that Cornerstone does it for the older youth is that on a Friday night, um, where they, they're hearing the word of God preached, um, so through that, um, I was asked to, to do a little um, and a little more. Um, so it's through that that I've, I've gotten into to preaching. Um, we also, um, I know that you've had the notice of the Mark drama. Um, if you do pop along to that, Rachel is a Pharisee. Um, and she tells me that she's been practicing her judgmental look for years. Um, and uh, uh, yes, yeah, so we're both in the Mark drama there. Um, and then the last, last little thing about me is, um, is that I, I semi-regularly cut my own hair. Um, and we'll come on to that, believe it or not, when we, when we open God's Word. So I semi-regularly, every now and again, cut my own hair. Um, so with that, why don't we ask for God's help as, uh, as we open up God's Word to us now. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your Word. We thank you that it is... Um, it is from you. Uh, we thank you that um, it is something that unites us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ um, and what he has done to us. And we pray, praise you, Father, for its, uh, its relevance and um, the fact that we need it as well. Um, and we pray, Lord God, that you would be with me um, as I preach. Help any nerves that I have um, and help me to, to be faithful to your words. Um, help me to be bold and help me to point to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray for each and every one of us here that we would have hearts that are um, able to take in this word. Um, Holy Spirit, would you do a work in our hearts so that each one of us love the Lord Jesus Christ more and more as a result of, of your word being proclaimed. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so here we are, sort of roughly halfway through John's Gospel. Um, and, and in John's Gospel, if we were to take a really simplistic view of it, we could have the first half being Jesus' public ministry, where he's in the wedding in Canaan and he turns water into wine, and he's feeding the 5,000, and he walks on water, his public ministry. What we have in, in chapter 13 is the second act of Mark, uh, the second act of Jesus. I'm on Mark drama. The second act of Jesus here, where he begins his private ministry. And we see that in the foot washing here. So being halfway through John's gospel, it's a, it's a fair question to ask, you know, what's happened so far and what do we think is going to happen next? You know, if you're, if you're halfway through a TV series, you'd think, oh, what's happened so far? We don't want to pick up halfway through what's going to happen next. So look with me at verse 1. What verse 1 does is it gives us a look back and then a look forward. It tells us what he has done so far, and it tells us what he will do next. So verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Do you see that there? Read it again. Having loved his own who were in the world, 
He loved them to the end. So what has Jesus been doing? Three years of ministry, it says here, verse 1, having loved his own. So John's summarizing what Jesus has done so far. Jesus so far in that three years of ministry has been loving his own. Brilliant. So we know that that's what Jesus has done. When he was at Cana, when he was feeding the 5,000, loving his own. So what will Jesus do next? What can we expect him to go on to do? The second half of that part, part there, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So we've got to look forward. John's telling us what Jesus will do next. He has loved his own. And what will he do next? He will love them to the end. So when Jesus was at Cana, he loved his own. When Jesus was on, on, on the strip walking up to Golgotha, a frail and lonely man carrying that heavy cross, what was he doing? Loving his own. And we can, we can say with confidence here that throughout all of Jesus' ministry, the sort of banner that would fly over Jesus' ministry could be something like, having loved his own, he will love them to the end. And that's true here for, for the disciples that Jesus is speaking to, but that's true for his own. For those of us who know and love the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that Jesus Christ will love us to the end. And we know that the things in our life that have already happened, he has loved us. That's what Jesus has been doing for his own. So my immediate application then for, for these verses is to, to soak that in. If you are his own here today, to know that these things that are going to happen in, in this passage here, the washing of the disciples' feet, and we'll think about that a bit more, the truths that are from them, Jesus does for you if you are his own. And then if you're, if you're not his own here this morning, if you can't say with confidence that the Lord Jesus Christ is your saviour, I want you to consider these things very seriously. Consider the things that are true for his own. Consider the things that are therefore not true for you. Consider them in your hearts. Allow these things, perhaps for the first time, to, to penetrate your hearts and come to him in your, in your chairs even now or online Come to him and accept the Lord Jesus and accept these truths as being for you. That having loved his own, he will love them to the end. So I've said that that's the, the banner for Jesus' ministry. Having loved his own, he will love them to the end. And we're going to look at three pieces of evidence to prove this banner. You'll see them on your, on your notices. Um, the sermon notes there, the first point is a humble servant. Secondly, we've got a call to humble service. And then thirdly, the motivation to humble service. In, in all of those three there, you, you notice that the word humble comes up. Humble is, is quite a, a funny word. Uh, humility, humble. It's a, it's a really funny word, I tell you, to Google. Okay? Because Google doesn't hold any punches. What it does is it doesn't give you examples of people with humility. It gives you exactly the opposite. 
When you Google humility and examples, it gives you Donald Trump. It gives you Cristiano Ronaldo. Okay? That's what humility, that's what it does. So what Google is doing there is it, instead of showing us examples of humility, it's showing us examples where people have lacked humility. And I'm sure you can think of examples of people where they have lacked humility. Um, we, we, of, we often sometimes say the phrase that uh, it was a humbling experience, don't we? It was um, basically an embarrassing little story that was a humbling experience. It, it was a chance for me to grow in humility. I had a humbling experience of my own uh, probably about a month or so ago. I mentioned earlier that I cut my hair intermittently. Um, I've been doing that since well before lockdown, well before it was cool. Um, and as you can see, my hair, it's fairly easy to cut. It's a fairly simple haircut. Two on top and then something on the sides, I don't know. And, uh, but I'm not... So when I, when I do cut my own hair, I do that because I don't... Re I think I look at my hair more than anybody else. My wife disagrees, but I think I look at my hair more than anybody else does. So if I think it looks okay, then surely nobody else is looking at it. I was wrong. I, uh, I therefore go to the barbers intermittently. Every other time I sort of go to the barbers. And this, this, one, this one time I went to the barbers about a month ago and the, the barber asked me, he said, um, where, where did you... Where did you get your hair cut last? It wasn't here, was it? And I, at the time, I honestly could not remember. And I sat, I sat, I don't know. I don't know. And as he, as he sort of walked around the chair with, with myself sitting on, he became, and I don't think I'm being dramatic here, he became more and more irate at uh, the state of my head. As he walked around... And what, what happened as a result really shocked me because he moved my chair to be under the light and he called his colleagues over. <laughs> and as is not unusual, the barber was, was, had more than one language. So what happened was he had a Welshman in a chair, fairly embarrassed, with a group of men talking about my head and I didn't even know what they were saying. The worst part about it was he then proceeded to take a photo of my head to then show me and say, wherever you went last time, you can't go there again. Lo and behold, he had no idea that he was so angry with me. I was the one who'd cut my hair last. I didn't have, uh, I didn't have the guts, or maybe perhaps I had the wisdom not to tell him um, that I'd done that. But that was, a, that was a chance for me to grow in humility. Yes? And I mentioned earlier about examples of people that have lacked humility. I've picked one example. It's not, it's not Donald Trump. It's not Cristiano Ronaldo. It's an, it's an example um, of a man with immense status from a series of books, a character, uh, from a land called Dillydale, the Mr. Men books. This man formerly called Mr. Uppity. The editors have now changed it to be Mr. Snooty. I think that fits fairly well. 
Now, Mr. Snooty, who lives in Dillydale, he has, the book says, he has the largest and longest limousine in all of Dillydale. The largest and longest garden in Dillydale. And he has the largest house in all of Dillydale. This house sits on the largest hill in all of Dillydale. Mr. Snooty has it all. A man with immense status. But the reason that I've picked Mr. Snooty is because the book goes somewhere very, very, very interesting. Because what the book goes on to say is that despite all of this status, this grandeur, he was miserable. He lived alone, surrounded by shiny things, but he was miserable. His status had made it hard for him to go about amongst his peers. His status had made it so that he thought he was better than others. His house sitting on top of the hill, the peasants of Dillydale looking up at it, he thought he was better than others. So because he had this status, that's what he thought. But we see here, in our passage today, a man with an even grander status than, than Mr. Snooty, a certain Jesus Christ of Nazareth. A man who, earlier in John's Gospel, John tells us that Jesus created all things. Jesus is the creator. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. John also tells us that Jesus is God's son. So Jesus has a status that is far higher than even Mr. Snooty. I know. And what does Jesus do with his status? We see here in this passage that he bends, he goes low, and he washes the feet of the disciples. It can feel really, really strange to us hearing about washing feet. You know, we, we, it's, a, it's a custom that we're not used to. I, I went on a mission trip a few years back uh, when I was 18. I went to Moldova for, for three months. And it is a custom that they do there around Easter time. I'm not going to go into that story, but I have got stories about it. But here, 2,000 years ago, this was a custom that every household did. And we, in our lovely shoes, in our Nikes or our Adidas trainers, we don't see this as something that we would do. But back in 2,000 years ago, instead of the lovely shoes that we have, they would have worn sandals that were largely made of leather and rope. And if you, instead of the tarmac roads that we have, albeit with potholes, instead of those roads that we have, what they would walk on was roads that were sometimes thick with dust or dirt. Sometimes thick with dust or dirt. So you've got sandals with dusty, dirty roads, and they didn't have their lovely smart cars or their hybrids, they would have to walk long distances to get from one place to the other. And also, they had a climate that they could rely on. They didn't have the type of climate that you'd have four types of weather in one day. Instead, 
they had a very, very hot climate. And if you combine that with these shoes that they had, with the dirt and the amount of walking that they, they would have done, you can imagine the state of someone's feet. And therefore, you can imagine why this would have been a custom. Now, this was a custom. This was a custom in every household. But it wasn't a custom that everybody would do. The owners of the household seldom would, would do this because it was seen as so low a job, so demeaning. So that what they would do is they would get the slave or the servant in and the servant would wash the feet of those who would come in through the door. Now here we see Jesus who hasn't had his feet washed. He hasn't been cleared of, of the muck of the day. And what does Jesus do? The man with even more immense status, the man who's, it's not his home, it's not his duty to do this. Jesus goes low. Jesus, the guest of honour, no one has washed his feet and the disciples considered, did not consider their master's dignity and comfort at their meal. Instead, Luke's gospel tells us that instead of washing Jesus' feet, they were likely to be arguing about who was the greatest. So they're bickering, they're squabbling like brothers about their roles in the coming kingdom. And as all this is going on, Jesus gets up from his meal, takes off his outer garment, takes a towel, and he assumes the role. He puts on, as he takes off his outer garment, he puts on the role of a servant, the role of a slave. And he goes round washing the disciples' feet. I don't want you to miss that. What we've seen there is that the creator of all things has become the servant for his disciples. The man in that room with the most immense status, God's son, creator of all things, is on his hands and his knees as he goes around with a towel wrapped around his waist amidst the dirt and the muck of the day to clean the feet of his disciples. Humiliated because he considers their needs as greater than his own. So there we have a humble servant. A humble servant who does this act for his own. We've seen the humble servant as he becomes the servant for others. As he considers their needs as greater than his own. Now we're going to look at my second point. A call to humble service. So look with me at verse 12 to 14. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. So in essence, what Jesus is saying there is if I have this huge, lofty, grand status and I have done this job of a servant for you, you should go and do likewise to others. You should be able to do that. 
It reminds me there of, of a famous passage in Philippians, the, the Christ hymn, where Paul says in verse 2, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That's what Jesus is saying here. The ESV, instead of value others above yourselves, says count others as more significant. I, I like that, not because of any technical language argument. I like it because it's simply not something that we can get away from. Count others as more significant than yourselves. It's very in your face. That is what it is saying to do. And I want to apply that. I want to apply that here. There's, there's probably a million ways that we could look to apply that call to humility, that call to counting others as more significant than yourself. But I want to look at prayer. Now, I'm going to be very, very honest. I'm, I, I, I am up here, but I'm very, very much counting myself in the same bracket here. How in your prayer life can you count others as more significant than yourself. My prayer life is full of I, me, my, mine, Geraint, our. It's full of me. Look with me. Flick forward to John 17. Look at Jesus' example here. Just hours away from being killed, what does Jesus pray? The first section there, you've got that Jesus prays for the Father to be glorified. For the Father to be glorified. Hours away from being killed. I'm not hours away from being killed, and I'm praying for myself pretty much always. Praying for myself, not considering the needs of others as greater than my own. Jesus here, hours away from being killed, is praying for the Father to be glorified. He then goes on to pray for his disciples. Look at verse 20 then. Verse 20 is glorious. My prayer is not for them alone, not for the disciples alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Do you get that? Hours away from being killed, Jesus is praying for those who will believe. Hours away from being killed, Jesus is praying for you. That's glorious. That's amazing. The hours away from being killed, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is considering the needs of others, considering your needs as greater than his own, as he prays for you, as he lifts you up in prayer. Now, I wish I, could, I wish I took that more seriously. I wish I took that call to count the needs of others as more significant than my own, especially in my prayer life. Because as I lift them up in prayer, as I lift them up in prayer, other things, therefore, will fall into place. So that's why I've chosen there to, to apply this in prayer. But there's, there's lots of practical ways as well that I do hope that we can count the needs of others as more significant than ourselves. So we've looked at a humble servant. We've looked at a call to humble service. And now I want to look at the motivation 
to humble service. I've missed out here verse 6 to 11. So we'll read verse 6 to 11. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Peter has said, you're not washing my feet. He's probably saying, I know your status. I know the the demeaning job that this is. You're not doing this to me. Your teacher, your Lord, you're not doing that. So in, in one part, Peter's got it right. But Jesus goes on to say, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. He's over-exuberant. Oh, fine. I I haven't got it right the first time. I'm going to jump in both feet. I'm going to jump in both-footed. And I'm going to get this right. Not just my feet, but my hands and head. Look at at Jesus' response here. Verse 10. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. Now notice here, Peter hasn't had his feet washed. But Jesus is able to say to him, you are completely, your whole body is clean. There's one person in these, in these verses who's not clean. There's 11 men who are totally clean. And there's one person who is not. One person who has not passed from death to life. Some who are his sheep and no one can take them away from Jesus. Some who are completely clean. Their whole body is clean. But there's one who is not. And it's not that Jesus just hasn't quite got round to Judas yet. It's not just that, oh, I've washed 11 and I haven't quite done Judas yet. There are 11 who are his own. They are made clean. Remember, this is an acted out example. An acted out example of Christ taking on, putting on the role of a servant for the sake of his own. These 11 are made clean, made completely clean. Their whole body is clean because of the place where we see the fulfillment of Christ's humble servanthood. They are made clean because the one with the high status, the one who is from the Father, the one who made all things, he made himself nothing, Philippians 2, by taking the very nature of a servant. That's the language that Paul uses there. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. The acted out example of humility by Christ is pointing to a complete washing. To a complete washing. It is pointing to the cross where he takes on the form of a servant. Where he becomes obedient to death, even to death on the cross. And as Jesus takes on the form of a servant, as he puts that on... 
He clothes you in his righteousness so that you can be called completely and utterly clean. As Jesus puts on the role of a servant, you are completely clean if you are his own. You are washed. I want to spend a moment looking at that word completely because I don't think we understand it. That word completely means completely. That's what we say to our youth. If it says all things, it means all things. If it says completely, it means completely. So don't let the devil say to you, you can't be forgiven for that thing that you did 10 years ago, five years ago. That thing that is so dirty that a Christian shouldn't have done, that if you are his own, you shouldn't have done. That is the devil talking. Jesus here instead, what does he say to you? As he takes on the form of a servant on the cross, as he washes you completely clean, he says you are completely clean. If you are not his own and you've got things standing in your way and you're saying, I can't be a Christian until, until I've sorted out this part of my life, Jesus couldn't forgive this. That's not true. Jesus is here to take on the form of a servant, to go humbly to the cross, to take your sin from you and to declare you completely clean, to, to declare your whole body clean. That's what Jesus is doing here. So we've seen here a humble servant. We've seen a call to humble service. And the title of um, this sermon, put it deliberately at the end so that if you're having conversations at lunch and someone says to you, what was that sermon about? And you say to them, I've no idea. He had a strange accent. Um, <laughs> remember this. Go low. That's the title of the sermon. Go low. Christian, go low because we've looked at a humble servant. Go low because he has called us. Go low because on the cross of Christ, he became a servant to make you completely clean. So to the elders, to the household leaders, to the small group leaders, kids and youth leaders, go low. To brothers and sisters, go low. To, to mothers and fathers, go low. To those who are his own, go low. Jesus went low, so go low. Count the needs of others as more significant than your own. Go low. And you are completely clean, so go low. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. We thank you for Jesus' humble example that he took on the form of a servant so that we can be made completely clean. And would you help that to be our motivation, our motivation to want to, to consider the needs of others as greater than our own. Help us, Father, to, to look at the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and how he took on that lowly, demeaning job 
on the cross to take our sin from us? And would that motivate us to go low in humble service as we consider the needs of others as greater than our own? Amen.